Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Schools across the greater St. Louis area have closed. For schools in Missouri, that announcement came Sunday in a bid to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Just one day before, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker ordered schools across Illinois to close. That's a move that Missouri Governor Mike Parson has yet to make. Now, the plan is to move to online education. But how? And what about all the things that schools can only do face-to-face? So joining me today to discuss the situation is Ryan Delaney. He's St. Louis Public Radio's education reporter. Ryan, welcome to the show. Good to see you. So these announcements seem to come with very short notice. What have the last few days looked like for educators in Missouri and in Illinois? It's been chaotic. Uh, A lot of schools, not all of them, but a lot of the schools in our area are on spring break this week. Uh, Some are scheduled to be on spring break next week. So what's actually been happening in buildings has varied a little bit depending on whether or not teachers were in the building uh, Monday and Tuesday before this closure went into effect on Wednesday. Wednesday. For kids and, and staff that were in school at the beginning of this week, it was uh, one principal told me that they were grabbing every pen and pencil and notebook and probably crayons for younger kids and, and literally stuffing them into kids' backpacks and trying to send them home with as many lessons and materials as they can. Um, Ferguson Florissant School District Monday afternoon closed a little early so staff district-wide could do a training on uh, Google Classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, there's a wide range of obviously ages of kids who now need to do distance learning. So it's going to look very different for uh, seven, eight-year-olds versus high school kids who probably in a lot of schools, although not all, are much more used to at least some sort of hybrid of doing homework or having discussions online to complement their in-person instruction. That's now teachers are trying to figure out how to shift that all online. Um, At the younger levels, I'm hearing um, a lot of printing and and, and photocopying of lesson packets and things being sent home. Teachers are frantically trying to get uh, their lessons and learning materials all online. Um, And then a big obstacle over all of this is the digital divide of Mm. teachers and principals and admins are very quickly trying to figure out who has computers at home and who has internet and trying to get hotspots out to kids and Um, laptops issued to kids. Not every school is what uh, we call an education one-to-one where every kid has a laptop that he or she takes home every day. So trying to figure out how to sign those out. And then lastly, for all the kids who weren't in school this week, now they're trying to figure out the logistics of having kids and parents come and pick up materials uh, Monday or Tuesday to get this ramped up next week. So is the goal if if kids don't have a laptop at home or they don't have access to the internet, districts are, are trying to meet each of those individual needs with some sort of device? some sort of a hotspot? That's the hope. I think there's obviously a realistic expectation that this is not going to look the same in every household. Uh, One principal told me that uh, they're trying to design a lot of activity-based lessons uh, versus doing it all online. Um, I don't think anyone really expects a seven-year-old to sit down at a laptop quietly uh, for six hours a day. Um, My editor can already attest to that with her young children. Um, So it's there's definitely the expectation that not the same amount of learning is is going to happen. And, and that's, I mean, obviously, it's sad for a lot of kids who are already behind in school. Is there some sort of standard of we're asking parents to do so many hours a day? Or does that also vary by district? That definitely varies right now. Um, there's at the middle school and high school level, um, what Ferguson Florissant was trying to do is basically have an expectation that kids 
move um, from one subject to the next over the course of uh, at least in the morning. You know, nine to ten will be you work on your social studies. Ten to eleven will be you work on math. Um, at younger levels, there's just uh, I think trying to ask parents to make sure their kids do some sort of learning, be it their lesson packet or if you want to design stuff um, or here's a bunch of you know links to a bunch of online resources and videos and activities. Just try to have them do a couple hours of that. Um, I think the next week or so will really prove what actually is possible and what really happens. Um, and teachers and, and, and educators are going to have to adjust. And uh, our second guest today is here to, to speak to some of those concerns and, and maybe even give some advice for educators and for parents who are dealing with all this. And, and boy, it is a lot, I'm realizing, as, as Ryan's walked me through this. There's so much to this. So our second guest today is Gary Ritter, and he's a professor and dean of St. Louis University School of Education. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Gary, it feels like the summer slide is something educators have warned about for years. Are we looking at a huge potential for an even bigger slide with so many of these classes being conducted virtually and all this kind of happening on the fly? I think that's a very important concern, and I, I think it's good that you raised it. The, the, we have talked about the summer slide, and there's uh, varying uh, beliefs these days on how important the summer slide is. When people mm. think of the summer slide, I think we really focus on the differential slide between kids from really advantaged backgrounds and kids from less advantaged backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that kids in wealthier homes have access to all sorts of learning experiences and engaging experiences throughout the summer where kids in less affluent backgrounds wouldn't have that. And this is essentially... Uh, creating the potential for a summer slide, as you noted, uh, beginning on St. Patrick's Day. And and as you say, this divide, it plays right into this digital divide that, that Ryan was talking about. A more affluent family might have a laptop for every kid. I'm sure that's not the case for, for many families and, and for many school districts in less affluent neighborhoods. Um, what do you see as, as the ramifications of um, what's happening right now with education? Well, so that's a good point about the dig digital divide, and there's also probably many other areas where the, the wealth divide would have an impact, right? In some homes, a student might have a quiet room to go to if there are a lot of different rooms, whereas if we're in a more crowded home, it will be more challenging for me to find time to work alone, whether I'm working on an iPad or even reading a book. Mm -hmm. or doing a math worksheet or, or doing anything, the divide, the, the sort of wealth gap uh, will influence kids in more ways than just digitally. Or if, if we're fortunate enough to be in a home with, for example, college professors, we're all working at home now. So we can mm -hmm. help our kids in ways that if I were an hourly worker or on the front lines of this COVID-19 crisis, I'm out, I'm out of the home, I'm doing work it's harder for me to work with my uh, young person at home. So there are many, many challenges related to the, I guess, the, the, the wealth divide that, or the socioeconomic divide that will influence how much learning goes on for students over the next several months. 
Ryan, if you could speak to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm particularly also very concerned about kids with special education needs. Uh, I talked to a mom briefly this morning who has a nonverbal autistic daughter mm-hmm. who is trying very quickly how to figure out how to be a teacher um, and brought up the point that her daughter's not going to get occupational therapy, get speech therapy anymore. Um, I've been posing that question to a lot of superintendents, and they're having a lot of conversations with their special education teachers and trying to figure out how they can reach out to those families and see what they need. But obviously, a lot of that is still going to happen uh, virtually or remotely. So a lot of one-on-one instruction that a lot of kids need and are legally mandated to get might not happen. And so those are some of the concerns there. We've also heard from some of our listeners um, on social media. Um, Denise of Rockwood wrote on Facebook, both my kids will start online learning March 30th. Both are technically on spring break right now. We have no clue what this is going to be like. How do you do chemistry labs in your bedroom? Will there be PE? How do I tutor seventh grade advanced math? Um, Rockwood sent a note that the teachers are preparing Monday through Wednesday next week and will touch base with the kids next Thursday. The district is also offering hotspots and Chromebooks to kids without Internet at home or without enough Internet. Everyone in the district from 6th to 12th has school-issued Chromebooks. This is going to be interesting. And I think that's the perspective of a lot of parents, even in these more affluent districts where they're kind of looking at this going, am I up for this? Gary, I'm wondering, uh, do you think if parents have the time and, and there are the resources there. Can they get their kid through this? Well, you noted a couple of really important things there. Even, even in more affluent homes, now there would be four or five people trying to deal with the bandwidth. So that's going to be a challenge. But, but yes, I think there are ways to get through it. There's a lot of resources out there for educators and for parents. And I think uh, these days, the line between educator and parent is going to be uh, much less stark. Parents are going to be educators. And I, I think some of the good resources include a uh, scholastic learn-at-home resource, which is offering day-by-day projects for children at different reading levels. These are cross-curricular, and they're often built on video. There are websites with virtual field trips where, again, you have access to an iPhone or a Uh, Gary, I'm sorry, we're having some problems with your phone connection here. Um, I don't know if you can kind of move around where you are and and see if if we can try that again. Um, I don't know if you can hear me right now. Um, Ryan, let's let's talk about this issue. Um, Do you have any sense of what people are pointing to as some tips for parents who are dealing with this at home? Yeah, it's definitely challenging, um, and I don't envy any parents who are trying to uh, balance their nine-to-five job from home. Um, but like I said, there's a lot of activity-based things you can do um, in terms of measuring the, the area of your uh, of your bedroom to try to do some math. Or um, mm-hmm. one teacher suggested, you know, let's do the percentage difference between Facebook followers. Um, you know, a lot of little things. Um, I think it's really about just trying to make sure kids are engaged and actively thinking during the day. Um, like I said, there's probably no realistic expectation that kids are going to get seven hours of instruction like they do when they're Mm -hmm. at school every day, Um, but trying to do as much as possible reading time. There's a lot of, I mean, luckily we're in a good day and age to do this. There's a lot of um, online resources out there that are free. Um, SLPS has been posting some of these online and, and breaking them down by grade level. Um, and, and there's a number of those kind of things out there. That's um, the St. Louis Public Schools yes, doing that sorry. online? Okay. Yeah, um, and I think a lot of districts are similar, similarly doing that, and you're going to see more uh, going up in, in the near term of um, short videos and activities that kids can do. Um, and Gary, I understand you're now back with us. Um, can, can you hear us well at this point? 
Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so you were talking about the scholastic resources online, um, and that's about when you began to cut out. Yes, I apologize. I was I was actually talking about the challenging bandwidth, and I then encountered it. Uh, <laughs> but what we do have a resource on our uh, St. Louis University website. If uh, listeners want to go to sluprime.org, S-L-U-P-R-I-M-E.org, we have a blog where we're continually updating a list of these educational resources for parents or for teachers. And I think that will be a valuable resource uh, where we can continue to add things as we find them. That, that sounds great. And what would you say in terms of best practices? Um, is there a sense of how much kids should be spending trying to do uh, in front of a computer versus some of these uh, techniques Ryan was talking about learning in the home um, by doing things more practically? I think that's a great question. I, I think um, one of the, the key pieces of best advice is don't expect perfection. It's mm-hmm. exactly what we're telling our faculty who are having to transfer to from face-to-face mode to online mode and transfer on a dime. Uh, we're going to do our best. We shouldn't expect perfection from ourselves or from our kids. We should think about what are the most important learning objectives that we think our kids need to get and help work with them and focus on these. We're, we're not going to do as well. We just have to acknowledge we're not going to do as well as we would have in a face-to-face environment. So let's do our best to create a schedule, do our best to make sure the kids do some math during the day, do some literature during the day, do a little bit of science, do a little bit of art. Um, and there are all kinds of opportunities uh, with history. Certainly, I would imagine this would be a good time to ask our students to, if they can get online, research pandemics from the past, mm-hmm. learn about the 19. 19- 18 epidemic in St. Louis, for example, uh, engage in virtual field trips. So I think there are opportunities as long as we don't expect perfection and we're willing to be gentle on ourselves and on our students. Ryan, you've been talking to a lot of educators and administrators um, in the last few days. Do you think they kind of have that attitude of, yeah, we're just going to have to do the best we can here? I do. Um, and I think it's it's disappointing for there's a huge swath of kids out there who are, did not come into this school year where they should be for a lot of different reasons, um, you know, socioeconomic divides and just access to things. Um, and every day for a lot of our schools is critical to getting kids a little bit closer to being up on grade level. And now you're talking about losing a quarter of the school year. Um, so there are thousands of kids out there who are at risk of really never ever having a chance of getting caught back up. Um, I do want one last thought was that I talked to a couple of principals and, and admins out there who pointed that this is going to expose um, all of the secondary and tertiary things that schools are now responsible for. It's so much more than just teaching your kid to read and write and do math. Schools are now relied on for food and social services and healthcare and clothing and all of these other things. And they're trying to put a positive spin on this of it being an opportunity to show all of the things that schools need to do and to reframe that and be aware of that and and for the community to reassess and how we all need to work better together to take our take care of our kids and and lift every kid up Um, so there's an opportunity here hopefully we 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 meet it Uh, we actually have a caller um, that I'd like to go to the phone lines here Susan is calling from Illinois Um, Susan hi you're on St. Louis on the air hi thank you um my niece um, has a, a daughter in fourth grade and a, a son in first grade. He's autistic. Mm. And um, 
the husband may be away quite a bit. Um, he's a fireman, mm-hmm. and um, she's on her. They're on their own together, and she's worried about how they're going to get through this together. I mean, he's you know he's a real handful. Yeah, I mean, that, those, are, those are some real challenges. Um, Gary, I wonder if you have any thoughts or, or just uh, words of, of comfort for Susan and as uh, her niece is dealing with this. Well, I think one, one solace that I've been taking and encouraging uh, our, our faculty and our students to take is that we're not going through this alone. I think the, uh, we don't want to expect too much in terms of making sure, uh, particularly the, the first grade student is, is making academic gains right now. We need to take advantage of the opportunities, maybe even the new opportunities to, to be together, to uh, to spend time maybe reading, maybe watching documentaries. I'm sure I, I understand that uh, the child is, uh, the, the, it will be tough for kids to be cooped up. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll take creative thinking on the parents' part to try and uh, make make the time more meaningful and, and, uh, and just, you know, to get through it as well. But, None of us are going through it alone. We should reach out to our friends and colleagues and, and seek ideas. It's, it's going to be challenging for everyone. Susan, thank you for that call. And, and Ryan, one last question I wanted to get to today, and that is a lot of schools have framed this as this is just going to be a couple weeks, and yet everything we're seeing in the news, it doesn't feel like that might be the case. What's the latest thinking um, that you're hearing from people in this field of how long we could be in this mode? I'm very hesitant to make panic parents panic, but uh, well, thank you for that I, as would, a parent. I, would, I would have very low optimism that your kids are going to walk back into school in the next few weeks. Um, schools in St. Louis City and County are closed right now through Friday, April 3rd. Um, I've talked to a number of superintendents yesterday and today, um, and they're hesitant to um, be affirmative on anything, but they're, they're operating, many of them, under the expectation that it's going to be longer, if not the entire school year. We saw two school districts in Warren County last night decide to close school for the rest of the year mm-hmm. on their county health department's recommendation that it be eight weeks that, kids, that schools are closed, um, which takes you up basically to the last few days of school. Um, and I think you're going to start to follow that suit. Um, admins are definitely planning for that. I had one superintendent tell me that he sent his kids home on Friday last Friday with the expectation of not coming back to school this year. So grab what you need. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of superintendents who, not necessarily on the record to me, but have told me on background that um, they don't expect to see kids back. Okay. Well, that's something I guess we should all start getting our heads around. This this could be our new reality. So St. Louis Public Radio reporter Ryan Delaney, thank you so much for joining us You're today. Welcome. Can I plug our Facebook group very oh, quickly? Yes. And this is one more resource for parents, right? Yes, for Tell parents who that. want to share best tips and, and ask questions. We have um, started our uh, a new Facebook group t- today with the wonderful help of Lindsay, our social media engagement person. Uh, if you go to Facebook and search Public Radio Parents, um, it's getting up and running. And we'd love to hear from you how things are going and, and advice and questions. And I actually just joined that group and there's already a lot of great conversation on there. So Public Radio Parents, look that up. And the website that Gary was talking about, which provides um, support for parents and I believe educators as well, that's slewprime.org, Gary? That's right, yes. Okay. Well, we, we have any any parents who want to reach out directly to the School of Ed, our slewed at slu.edu email. We're glad to try and answer questions or connect you with a faculty member who might be helpful to you. Uh, That is such a generous offer, and we'll make sure to include that email um, on our website as well as we write up um, this conversation for those who want to access that there. So Gary Ritter, Dean of St. Louis University School of Education, thank you so much. Thank you. 
This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.